In order to retire successfully, you'll need vision. You'll also need a plan to execute that vision. Welcome to Retirement Pathfinder with Barbara Lane and Phil Gusky. On today's show, we'll give you the tools you need to navigate unique challenges you'll face in retirement. It's time to chart your financial future. Retirement Pathfinder starts now. Hello and welcome once again to another edition of the Retirement Pathfinder, the show for you if you're looking to better prepare for your financial future and looking to get ready for retirement. We're going to help show you a little bit of the right path to take on today's show. I'm Walter Storholt, guiding the bus, but along with me, of course, retirement income planning specialists Phil Gusky and Barbara Lane at Pathfinder Wealth Management, serving you throughout the Rockford area. Both Barbara and Phil are authors. Barbara is the co-author of two books, Roadmap for a Stress-Free Retirement retirement and remarkable retirement Phil's the founder of Pathfinder and co-author of multiple financial planning books as well you can find the team online listen to past episodes of the podcast and contact us by going to pathfinderwealth.com let's introduce you to the voices Phil and Barbara how are you guys doing this week good to talk with you Good morning, Walter. Good to talk with you too, Walter. (laughs) Looking forward to a fun conversation as we always do here on the the program. Every couple of weeks, we take a smattering of listener questions from across the area and cover lots of different topics and see what's on people's minds. And it's nice to kind of get that direct tap into what people are thinking about when it comes to their retirement. So hopefully we can provide some assistance to the folks who have asked questions on today's show. Let's start it off nice and simple and short and sweet with a good question here from Jeff. It's a uh, two-sentence, one-line kind of question here. Jeff says, I want to retire in five years when I turn 55. Is that a bad idea? I'm guessing he means it's kind of early compared to the norm, so is that a bad idea? Yeah, I'll take that one, Walter. You know, I would say, Jeff, if you can retire comfortably at 55, then congratulations to you. However, this is not a yes or no question. There's a lot to think about. For instance, your money is going to have to last you 40 plus years if you retire at 55. So the first question I'd have for you is what are your goals for retirement? Have you done a calculation or hopefully if you're working with someone, they have to determine how long your money will last. In other words, looking at your current expenses and lifestyle, taxes for what we know of them today, inflation, growth of your money, withdrawals, Do you have Social Security and a pension? So there's lots of numbers to crunch, but it's crucial for knowing how long your money's gonna last. If you do all of those calculations and you have a 70% success rate, which is what we look at, then I'd say that you're good to go, provided that you have ongoing monitoring, because you wanna look at a retirement plan at least annually. If not, then you may need to reduce some of your retirement expenses. You may consider working a little longer or working part-time. But if you're at this age right now, retiring in about five years, and I would say looking into this is a good idea. But if all does look good, since you are under 59 and a half, access to your retirement funds can be tricky. So number one, work with an advisor that's going to give you the income you need from your retirement account and not incur a penalty. There is a way that that has to be set up, but it has to be very specific. And keep the majority of your money liquid. In other words, invest it in a diversified portfolio of index funds, but you can easily liquidate. Second question I'd have is, do you have an estate plan for how and where your estate will go on death? And also while you're alive but incapacitated, have you thought about someone to make health decisions and financial decisions for you? And thirdly, protecting your estate from aging and catastrophic illness. Do you have a plan or do you want a plan? And I would say the answer to that question is going to be different if you're married or single. And fourth is most importantly, but if not equally important, and that is 
tax savings. So hopefully you're working with an advisor who can help you with saving on taxes and retirement. And this can be done with things like filling up tax brackets, Roth conversions, uh, passing on tax-free wealth to your heirs, or even for you during your lifetime, tax-free dollars. So most advisors, keep in mind, focus on money management. So work with a holistic advisor who can help you in all areas. The accumulation phase is easy. You put money in a 401k, it's mindless. You do it for years and years, maybe even decades. That part is easy. The decumulation phase requires some careful engineering. It's kind of like climbing a mountain. So when do most accidents and deaths occur? Well, it's not on the climb, it's on the descent. And that's when a qualified, experienced instructor is everything. So it's the same with retirement. You're now on the descent is now when you need the most help. What do you think, Phil? Yeah, I would go along with that too, Barb. And But I would also add to it some other things that are really non-financial in nature. You know, it's easy to kind of be a kind of clinical with regard to this approach. But the big question is, well, what's next? And what we find is I often tell my clients is, People that retire early like this are, are really thinking more about, you know, what am I getting away from rather than what am I going to? And so we think that it's important to talk about, you know, how people in retirement can stay productive. Do they have skills? Do they have accomplishments? Do they have qualifications that where they can reach out to the community? Because quite frankly, life doesn't end. You're not going to sit in front of the TV set and watch reruns of Gunsmoke for the next 30 years. <laughs> Well, maybe I will. I don't know. I like Gunsmoke. That's but, still might get know, old after 30 years, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or Bonanza. That's oh my mix it up a little bit. But, you know, seriously speaking, you know, we're going to be in retirement for 20, 25, 30 years. And so you, you don't want to shut down at that point because you want to keep your mind stimulated. You want to enhance your, your mental activities. And the best way to do that is to put out, give back do things that are going to be enhancing other people's lives. And I think that, you know, our discussion with regard to retirement is what is going to happen next? What are you planning on doing? Sure. Take a year or two off travel, spend time going golfing with the grandkids, whatever you want to do. But at some point down the road, you're going to have to ask yourself, what is important to me during this phase of my life? And that's a super important part of this whole question. A common theme through a lot of our podcasts certainly seems to be the meshing of sort of the financial part of this whole equation of retirement and also the, I don't know whether you want to call it the social side or the, the lifestyle side, but they are so often interlinked. And this is another great example of that. And it, everything is just basically magnified, Jeff, when you decide to retire that early compared to what is the norm. It doesn't mean it can't be done, but you've got a little bit more magnification to all the normal problems. And so it just makes it even that much more important to have a proper plan in place. So you're already one step ahead of most folks, and that's recognizing that it might be a bad idea. So let's investigate it further. A lot of people don't even think, oh, this will create additional problems. And you seem to have already jumped over that hurdle, which is a very good thing. Well, Barbara and Phil, our next question comes to us from Harriet. Harriet says, my aunt died and left me a rental property that I wasn't expecting. I've never been that interested in owning real estate like this, but I don't want to just sell it because she clearly wanted me to have it. What do you think I should do? Yeah, Walter, I'll take that particular question. And uh, this question kind of reminds me of what happened to a farm family that, that I knew when I was younger. The older parents created a trust that prohibited the sale of the farm upon their death. So when they were to pass away, they couldn't sell the farm. The kids could not sell that farm. They had to keep it within the family for several generations. By doing this, the parents were hoping the children would be assured of a never-ending income source for several generations. 
But instead of it being an advantage to the kids, uh, they had to dig down deep in, into their pocket at times and pay off some of the debt in order to keep the farm operation from going under. All their inheritance and their wealth was tied up in the ground, and they could not access it for other purposes in case of emergencies, colleges, building homes, starting other businesses, and so forth. So in effect, Harriet, what happened is the parents were controlling from the grave, and it became a bust instead of a boom. So I'm not saying that this is Harriet's situation, but allow me to ask a few questions that would help me to better qualify uh, this particular situation for her. The first question is, does Harriet desire to become a landlord? There's more to the issue than just dollars involved here. Being a landlord means that at times you have to deal with people that are difficult to deal with. They could be uh, somewhat abusive. They could be somewhat demanding. And they can be somewhat destructive at times. And so does she have the personality, the temperament to be able to deal with tenants that at times could be difficult to deal with? Question number two is, does she have an experience, any experience owning real estate properties that might require repairs, upkeeps, or even having to refinance the property through the bank? At times, you might have to put additions, large upgrades into the property that would uh, cost a lot of money and she'd have to go to the bank and borrow money to do these type of things. So it's more than just what you see at the bottom line at the time the property is transferred over. There is more under the hood, so to speak. And during those times, she has to be prepared to dig down deep in her pocket. Here's another one. Is the property upside down? Or if she inherits this property with a mortgage or without a mortgage, having a mortgage against the property could potentially end up in a mortgage time bomb. That mortgage may produce a tremendous problem for her down the road. So she has to really understand the potential time bomb issues or the precarious position that it could put you in in terms of owing the bank or owing somebody else money on the property. But the biggest question that I would ask Harriet is, is she okay with being under diversified in her investments? What I mean by that is this, is this the largest investment she would hold? Is this the only investment she would hold? And if so, because of that, she may not be adequately preparing for her retirement. So there's a lot of issues underneath this particular question that we have to really explore. I can't just give a pat answer, Walter, that would say, yeah, go ahead and, and keep the property or sell the property. A lot of factors involved here, a lot of consideration. Mm -hmm. Let's spend some time talking to Harriet and uh, in order to give her some help here. Barb? Yeah, when uh, I, it kind of reminds me of a couple of recently widowed clients within the last year that I have, and they don't want to be property owners anymore. They don't want to, they don't want to be landlords. So there's a capital gains issue on one and not on the other, but they're both selling their properties because it's really a quality of life issue. They want to simplify mm -hmm. things, and yep. they just don't want to be a landlord. Yeah, it's a big undertaking. It's mm -hmm. a business. There's no doubt about it. It is a business proposition. So she has to understand it's just not sit back and collect the rent. There are some other issues involved there. Right. Well, thank you for that question, Harriet. I know that that is a, a good one. Um, it's a, a question that a lot of people may experience at some point in time in their life. It may not be inheriting a rental property, but maybe inheriting something where they have this question of, are strings attached to this inheritance. I think you just have to be careful making assumptions. You know, clearly she wanted you to have it, but maybe didn't clearly want you to become a landlord. So don't necessarily assume that, you know, what those wishes may have been if they're not clearly spelled out for you as well. But it sounds like you've got some options there for what to do with that property. But yeah, great question there. Another one comes to us from Arnold. Arnold says, a financial advisor once told me to consider doing a stretch IRA. 
but I heard something a few weeks ago that said new decisions from Congress might end this option. Can you shed any light on that strategy and if it's going to be around anymore? Yes, um, I will talk about that one, Walter. Good timing on the question, because actually on March 29th of this year, there's both a Senate version and a House version of a new bipartisan bill called RESA. And it stands for Retirement Enhancement and Savings Act. It covers lots of issues, but the most far-reaching is a modification of the stretch IRA rules. There's also a change proposal for RMDs, for required minimum distributions to begin at 72 versus 70 and a half, which seems like an oxymoron to me that they would push out the requirement date. Again, these are just proposals. But the House version is what will change the stretch to a max of 10 years. So if the stretch is eliminated, then that could accelerate the taxation for your kids, could push them into a higher tax bracket. But the way it works right now with the, your children receiving your IRA accounts is they have three choices. They can take that in a lump sum, which they could lose most of that to taxes. They can take it out over a five-year period, which could also add to their ordinary income if they're still working. Or they can stretch it out over their life expectancy. So if you have three kids, you can have three beneficiary IRAs stretched out over their life expectancy. So if this proposal goes through, then that stretch could be limited to a maximum of 10 years. We don't know. So remember, this also applies to Roth IRAs for non-spouse beneficiaries. The kids would lose the compounding during the stretch period with that as well. Right now, the kids are required to take distributions from a Roth. So if you have an IRA, Roth IRA owner, no distributions are required. It goes to the spouse, no distributions are required. When it goes to the kids, currently even, the kids are required to take a distribution from a Roth, albeit it's tax-free, but they are required to take a distribution. So I would say stay tuned, Arnold. And by the way, you can notify your kids of your intent on deferral, but it may not happen because it depends on what they want to do with the money. Uh, this isn't something that the IRA owner sets up. This is something that the beneficiaries, the non-spouse beneficiaries set up upon the death of the IRA owner. Yeah, Barb, I would say in addition to that, that the stretch IRA opportunity does really allow the beneficiaries to build wealth during their, their lifetime because you know, you're going to postpone the distribution yeah. of that money, and that's a good thing for them. However, we also want to remind those heirs to check with their CPA with regard to how much they need to take out because the required minimum distribution that they must take through a stretch IRA or an inherited IRA is much different than the RMD or the required minimum distribution chart shows for the parents. They can get in great difficulty if they underdistribute based on using the wrong chart. And of course, then there's a 50% penalty of underdistributed income, and we don't want them to get it with that. So they are well advised to go see their CPA about that particular distribution plan. Yep, good point. Well, thank you for that question, Arnold. And uh, it's great to see folks who are in tune with what's going on in the financial world. And you certainly are knowing what a stretch IRA, maybe not what it is, but that it exists in the first place. A lot of people, I think, aren't aware of, you know, strategies and options like that. And then you've really got your ear to the ground to be able to hear about, you know, things that Congress are doing that might change that option. So we'll certainly be keeping an eye on that into the future. Thanks for the question, Arnold. One more question this week comes to us from Vera. Vera says, Says, it seems like we're going to head into a down market soon. What strategies do you think are best for handling a down market for someone in their 50s and 60s versus someone in their 30s? Looking for advice for me and also my son, who is obviously younger. 
Well, Walter, I'll, I'll go ahead and take that question. And I'll just basically say this, that one thing is for certain, we are going to head for a down or a bear market in the future. There's no doubt about it. It just cycles around. It's natural. It's normal. But here's the problem. I have not found a predictable, foolproof, time-tested, or academic way to determine when it's going to happen. My crystal ball fell off the table and broke. Is so that what happened? That's what happened. Yep. It used to be able to be pretty good, but then it broke. <laughs> so since we don't know when it's going to happen, the best advice is to prepare for it ahead of time. Well, how do we do this? And I will simply say, use the recipe approach, the recipe approach toward investing. Well, what in the world is the recipe approach? Well, anyone who has spent time in the kitchen knows the difference between cooking and baking. And when you cook, you can vary the ingredients. But when you bake, you must use a time-tested strategy that will produce the same outcome. And we call that a recipe. And so how does this apply to investing? Well, if you held only stocks in your portfolio in 2008, they were down by as much as 39%. But let's say that you blended in bonds by about 50%. That's the recipe approach. We're going to blend these in. The effect is, is only down 16%. Now, we say only down 16%. Nobody wants to be down at all. But the idea here is to control risk. By using math, we can reduce the potential downside risk. Of course, the percentage will vary depending on what kind of predictable outcome you're looking for. So if you need more income, you need to vary that percentage. If you want to reduce taxes, we can vary that percentage as well. The recipe approach is an academically sound and proven process, and it works whether you're 50 years of age, 60 years of age, or even 30 years of age. And so for greater detail on, on how to experience this particular reduction in risk, you can give our office a call at 815-399-9806. Barb, what do you have to add to that? Yeah, what I tell my clients is that if you have kids and if they will listen to you, <laughs> one of the things that you oh, could... Oh, yeah, that's important, right? <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that you could suggest to them is to contribute to a Roth 401k or a Roth IRA. But a Roth 401k versus a pre-tax 401k is so powerful because taxes with the assumption that they're going to go up in the future, that's the place to be. And they could be in a 90-10 portfolio, 90% stocks and 5 or 10% bonds. But you can contribute $19,000 tax-free inside of a Roth 401k. The only glitch is make sure your employer will match on a Roth. Some of them won't match on a Roth. They will only match on the pre-tax. But if not, then contribute pre-tax up to their match and then put the balance of what you can contribute into the Roth 401k. Well, I really appreciate the guidance you've given us on all these questions today, Barbara and Phil. If somebody has a question of our own, what can they expect when they ask that question? If they call in or go to pathfinderwealth.com and use the contact page to get in touch with you, what happens next through your process of helping people kind of go down these steps? Well, we suggest that they come in, Walter, and spend half an hour, 45 minutes with us. And we, you know, we just ask the questions of, when do you want to retire? You know, basic questions. What does your lifestyle look like when you do retire? And it's really kind of a getting to know each other. And that could be 45 minutes up to an hour. And that's where it really starts because, you know, we want to see if, you know, you really want to work with an advisor that you feel you can click with and you have a relationship with. So it's a meeting or two of just trying to get to know one another and trying to understand that particular person or couple coming in. Yeah, I often ask the person during the interview or, or make this statement that, you know, the real purpose for this interview is for us to determine whether it makes sense to go to a second appointment. And what I mean by that is, can we offer value to this 
person coming in seeking this information. Many times we just offer the information and they go their way and that's fine. We want a, a good experience you know, with anybody that comes into our office, whether we can really charge them a fee or not. To us, it's about helping people, guiding them properly. We're the Pathfinder Wealth Management Company. We're, we're setting the path for them to journey toward peace of mind as an investor. And so that's one of the things that we do is we want to make sure that we encourage them to come in and uh, ask us whatever they want. And uh, that way they'll, they'll be able to walk away with the information that they need. Well, if you need assistance, any guidance when it comes to your financial plan, and you'd like to have that conversation with the team at Pathfinder Wealth Management, it's easy to get in touch. I'll remind you the ways. You can go to pathfinderwealth.com, look for the contact button, and uh, that'll get you in touch one way, pathfinderwealth.com. That's also the place to go to listen to past episodes of the show and check out lots of other great, helpful information and resources. And you can call directly to the team at 815-399-9806. That's 815-399-9806. 815-399-9806. Well, Barbara and Phil, thank you so much for taking the time out to join us on today's podcast, giving us some of this great information as well. And we'll look forward to another conversation next time around. All right. Have a great week, Walter. For Phil Gusky and Barbara Lane, I'm Walter Storholt. Thank you so much for joining us. And we'll talk to you next time on The Retirement Pathfinder. Information is for illustrative purposes only and does not constitute tax, investment, or legal advice. Always consult with a qualified investment, legal, or tax professional before taking any action.